Welcome to our Exchange at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for February 28th. Each week, we sit down with leaders across the firm to get a quick take on the numbers they're watching in the markets. I'm Jake Seward, and today my guest is Aaron Riley. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me. There's a lot going on in the markets around coronavirus, of course. Uh, but before we jump into the analysis, Aaron, just give us a quick intro and explain what you do here at Goldman. Great. So I started my career in research covering technology stocks in our San Francisco office. For the past eight years, I've been part of an incredible desk called the Markets Coverage Group. We sit within the Consumer Investment Management Division, and we cover family office and private clients who are active in the markets and have highly sophisticated trading needs. Okay, interesting. So it's been an eventful week in the markets, to say the least. What's the one big number you're looking at? The big number I'm focused on right now is 10%. That's how much the S&P has plunged in the one week since it set an all-time high on February 19th. This has happened as investors digest news flow around increasing coronavirus infections outside of China, most recently in the U.S., where over 8,000 people in California are currently being monitored for the infection. So a double-digit decline like what we've just experienced is technically classified as a market correction, which is something we haven't had since late 2018. This is also the fastest slide into a correction from a peak since 2008. The velocity of the sell-off has really upended the stability markets have recently enjoyed. To put that in context, Monday was the worst day for the S&P in over two years, and Tuesday marked the largest volume trading day of the year across all major U.S. exchanges. So this is a rapidly evolving situation, and first I'd just like to say that our sympathies go out to all those affected by the outbreak. So far, what we know is there have been over 80,000 total reported infections with a fatality rate of slightly more than 3%. Now, this virus has been in the news since early January, but the reason why it is picking up traction in the market now is over the weekend, we got incremental news around transmissions increasing outside in China, most notably in Italy and South Korea. China still constitutes the majority of the infections, but the spread of the contagion elsewhere has raised a lot of alarm around potential global outbreak. So how do clients, our clients, think about the risks to the market? Obviously, it's front of mind for them after this week. Mm -hmm. So the clients that we're speaking to are focused on three areas of potential risk. The first is slowing growth in China. So right now, most of the infections are in China, which represents 17% of global GDP. That's a big number, and that's six times bigger than it was during the SARS outbreak of 2003, which makes it very challenging to use that epidemic as a comparison benchmark. The second area of risk that we're focused on is disruption to the supply chains of U.S. corporates. Sales into China for U.S. companies are actually quite limited at around 2% of total S&P revenue exposure. But there are a lot of supply hubs in China that could impact how companies manage their businesses. As an example, Apple has already negatively pre-announced for the coming quarter, highlighting that they have seen impact to their supply chain in China. And another example, 37% of S&P management teams on the last quarterly earnings season highlighted coronavirus or mentioned it on their earnings calls. And I would expect that to be the big buzzword again next quarter. And the third area of risk that we're very focused on, especially this week, is contagion to other countries, which could obviously further curtail things like travel and business activity. So right now we know that infections have been confirmed in over 30 countries. 
South Korea, Italy, and Japan have the largest number of reported infections outside of China. And at this point, it's starting to feel more than just headline risk. On Tuesday, the Center for Disease Control said, we are asking the American public to prepare for the expectation that this might be bad. So uh, what would you say the bottom line is at the moment uh, with coronavirus? So bottom line, it's been a volatile week in markets, and unfortunately, visibility has not improved. In recent history, pullbacks in the S&P have been short-lived, so clients are sharpening their pencils on opportunities, especially in high-quality S&P companies with valuation support. But they're finding that challenging for a couple of reasons. So while the headline of a 10% drop is dramatic, in historical context, it's not that abnormal, which makes it hard to conclude that we're oversold right now. On average, in any calendar year, the S&P pulls back 12%. So we're comfortably within that band at a 10% pullback. And we still know very little about the specifics of the virus fatality rate, reproduction rate, transmission rate. And these factors are what will guide when workers can actually return to normal levels of activity and restart the growth engine. And then lastly, it's still very difficult to put guardrails around longer term risks on the horizon, such as ensuing waves of infections or what would happen if another country fails to quickly contain an outbreak. So basically, to monitor how these risks materialize, our clients are less focused on near term China economic data such as the manufacturing numbers due out by the time this podcast airs, poor numbers at this point are expected. Our clients are more focused on monitoring the rate of change of daily reported infections on a country-by-country basis to assess the overall control of this epidemic. Okay, so aside from what has already been a drop in the markets, what's another number that's moved a lot that's caught your eye? $1,600 an ounce. That's gold broke through that price over the last week. And this is an asset that's been on a steady uptrend over the last year and garnered a lot of attention. We're seeing elevated trading volumes and positioning. And our clients who are gravitating to gold are communicating a few reasons. One is flight to safety in response to risks around coronavirus, as we discussed, but also to the possibility of a market-unfriendly outcome in the election this year. Another reason is the scarcity of safe haven assets in the market right now, given how low sovereign rates are globally. The 10-year U.S. Treasury yield hit a record low this week, and there is roughly $14 trillion of negative yielding debt globally. And the last reason is expectations in the market of very easy and accommodative monetary policy going forward. So gold's a safe haven when, when there are no other safe havens. Aside from commodities, what's the number that tells you something interesting about the relative value of one asset class versus another? I would say the yield gap, which is at over 4% currently. So this is a metric that represents the spread between the S&P earnings yield and the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, which is also known as the risk-free rate. And it's one way investors can assess whether the equity market is over or underpriced relative to bonds. A higher yield gap would suggest to us that stocks may be attractive relative to bonds. Why is this relevant now? Well, the bull market is about to celebrate its 11th anniversary on March 9th. At this advanced stage, our clients continue to express trepidation about late cycle risks and are thinking through whether they should be shifting exposures to less risky asset classes. However, the yield gap has moved higher to over 4%, which is well above its five-year average of around 3.5%. So this suggests to us that equities remain relatively attractively valued, despite appearing expensive on some other valuation metrics, such as the P.E. ratio. 
The yield gap has widened this week in particular because, as I mentioned, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield just dropped to a record low, about 65 basis points below where it came into 2020. And in such a low-rate environment, what we are hearing from clients is how challenging it is to get returns in the public market outside of equities. And there's a fun acronym that captures the resulting capitulation into stocks, which is TINA. There is no alternative. With that said, while the yield gap is currently wide of historicals, there is some vulnerability to it compressing as earnings revisions to the S&P come down. Already, Goldman research analysts have downgraded S&P earnings estimates for the current year, digesting some of the coronavirus concerns that we've talked about. So what's the number that you're thinking about for the future? So I'm actually thinking about two different numbers, one for the short term, one for the long term. Short term, I'm thinking about the VIX above 35. This index measures the market's expectations of volatility for the S&P over the next month. It shot to a one-year high this week, about double its one-year average. The curve also went inverted, which tells us that investors expect the market to be more volatile in the short term than over the long term, reflecting the high degree of uncertainty around coronavirus. And we've seen clients taking advantage of this inversion by selling short-dated optionality. It's also worth noting that VIX futures out to the October-November timeframe are trading more expensive than shorter-dated options, which also reflects the higher market moves anticipated around the election. And we've seen clients look to manage that risk around their equities by layering on hedges out to that timeframe. And how about over the longer term? The longer term, the number I'm thinking about for the future is the Fed funds rate. The U.S. Fed funds rate is at 1.75%. As a reminder, the Fed cut rates three times in 2019, and we expected the Fed to be on hold this year. But now the market is pricing in two cuts by the end of this calendar year. And that places the Fed in a scenario where they either deliver against those expectations, giving them less room to move during the next downturn, or telegraph a more hawkish message to the market, which could result in more market volatility. More philosophically, the room left to cut is very narrow, although there's clearly a precedent being set in other regions of the world to dip into negative territory. And given where rates are globally, the efficacy of monetary policy as a lever in the next recession, whenever that happens, is a concern and question for me. Definitely uncharted territory. So outside of the office, what's a number that you've had on your mind? Well, the number is two. That's the number of marathons that I have remaining to complete a goal that my younger sister and I set to run one on each continent. We've done five so far. So what's left? Uh, We have Australia and Antarctica. Hmm. So have you scheduled those yet? I have not scheduled those. Hoping to do Australia this year and Antarctica. That's the one I'm least excited for. So (laughs) we'll push that one off for a while. All right. What's the most memorable marathon you've done so far? Uh, Definitely the Vietnam Mountain Marathon, which we ran last September. It was in the northern region and it was tough. It was 2,200 meters of elevation, but through really interesting terrain in the mountains We were running past rice paddies, water buffalo, all kinds of interesting things to see. Very cool. So uh, impressive, an interesting way to see the world. Before we close, I have a fun fact with one more number, 36, which is the number of lines in the poem Aaron wrote in December, summarizing 2019's market performance. Aaron writes a markets wrap email to all our private wealth clients every week. And for the end of the year, she took it up a notch and composed a very impressive rhyming poem. What was the story behind that? 
So the idea behind the weekly wrap was to come up with a publication about markets for our clients that was fun and engaging to read. We all know that market commentary can sometimes sound very dry, but who says that portfolios can't also be poetic? So I'm a big fan of puns and wordplay. So at the end of 2019, we decided to compose our end of year summary in rhyming verse. We're hoping to do the same thing for 2020, as long as the big investment themes this year are rhymable. <laughs> well, it's good to see some creativity in finance. Um, uh, next time we'll do the, the whole podcast in verse. Thanks for joining me today, Aaron. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out our other episode this week from Fish Out of Water to Wall Street Changemaker with Sean Legister of our Global Markets Division. Thanks and have a great and healthy weekend. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.